iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. As for you, I even signed it. You screwed over everyone you ever knew or cared about. Now the whole world's gonna know what a murderer you really are. You could use a mint. Barney Bonofsky. 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 It's fine. Got her pregnant, man. Mazel tov. How do you even know it's yours? Well, I'm the father. Then you must be an albino. She's a well-bred woman, makes a nice like a kugel, has a beautiful rack. Many successful marriages have been built on far less. Hi, we haven't met. I'm Barney. I'm Miriam. Are you doing anything later? Because we could still catch a flight to Rome. The bride may take issue with that. We put that out. Yeah. A lot of my relatives have asthma. Don't be ridiculous. We just met at your wedding. It's not funny. For the first time in my life, I am truly, seriously in love. So am I, Barney. So am I. And is she the one? Is she the mother of your children? Absolutely. All right, then, let's do it. I don't know where to start with how inappropriate this all is. Why don't you just skip ahead from where I'm annoying and inappropriate to where I'm charming and endearing? Salute. Salute. That was my first gun. I want you to have it. I should kill you for this. What you should have done was call first. How come you didn't mention this gun? I'm just going to keep talking because I'm afraid that if I stop, there's going to be a pause and you're going to say I should get going. There it was, the pause. I'm still here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome tonight's guest, Paul Giamatti, and this evening's guest moderator, Adam Sternberg of New York Times Magazine. Good evening. Hi. Thank you for coming, everyone. Thank you, Paul, Thank for being you. here. I understand you just came from tackling a giant snowman. I did, yes. I was on Jimmy Fallon. They made me tackle a giant snowman. It's the Genius Bar. I got some questions. I should just go over there and ask them. <laughs> yes. Wow, this is wild. Um, uh, I wanted to congratulate you on the film. Uh, congratulate you on the Golden Globe nomination Thank for the you. film. If you don't, I'm sure you know. Thank you. Perfectly appropriate time to applaud. <laughs> um, but I have to ask you about that because you were nominated for Best Actor in a comedy or musical. Now... I've seen this movie. It's definitely not a musical. No, definitely. Would yes. you describe it as a comedy? Yeah, I would. Yes. I would say it's largely a comedy. I mean, it's got a romantic comedy elements and some sort of darker black comedy elements. I would say that it is for the most part. Even though it's got serious colors in it, yes, I would call it a comedy. Now, do you, is that something you discuss with the director going into it about the sort of... Uh tonal approach? Do you approach a project like this differently, thinking it's going to end up as a comedy or a, a drama, or is that even a distinction you worry about? 
well, no. I mean, I'm a, I, definitely the tone of this was pretty clear to me when I read it. I mean, even going into it, knowing the writer, knowing sort of what the no, thank you, sort of what the novel was about, and knowing his other novels, I knew it. What it had comedy. It was going to essentially be comedic. So, but um, you know, keeping the tone right is something. I talked to him about because it is a funny line that's walked in it. But um, no, I, kn I knew the kind of tone this was going to be. So it's a case-by-case -case thing. But I knew what this should be, yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, I, I don't want to give anything away. But there are, you know, it, it is the, the whole scope of a man's life. And it involves all sorts of uh, ups and, and serious downs as well. Um, but yeah, I guess ultimately is uh, comic in the way that life can be comic. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, and he has a great appreciation for the absurd, and he's very blunt, and his bluntness is funny, his sort of political incorrectness, his irascibility is all hopefully somewhat funny. So, Well, that's the other question, is that he is... I'm interested how you would describe him a rascal, a bastard, <laughs> a, uh, you know, how far you would go with it. The very first scene of the movie sort of establishes him as, as a pretty um, irascible guy. Yeah. Yeah. We root for him? Yeah. No, I mean, I, he's very complicated. I would say that he is a bastard, definitely, at times. Um, he's self-destructive. He's very romantic, though. Um, he's insecure. He's all these different kinds of things. Um, but I would say, essentially, that he's a kind of romantic at heart, which is he's got this incredible sort of romantic energy that he can barely sort of contain. He's very honest. Um, but that romantic thing is what kind of drives him a lot of the time, I think. Uh, one of the things in the film is that he meets his third wife at his wedding to his second wife. So that gives you a bit of an insight into his character. The other thing I found watching this film, it starts and your character is... Uh, it's like 28. Yeah. Well, oh, he's, you, very, he he's starts, very 65. Yeah, he's yes, 65, yes. and then it flashes back and he's 28. And as I was watching it, I kept trying to remember how old you actually were in real life. Because... <laughs> uh, it seems to me like doing a movie like this where you are playing literally, you know, the whole scope of an adult person's life, yeah. it's kind of like the Iron Man triathlon of, of acting. Is it like a daunting thing to take on? Yeah, totally. That's part of the attraction of it, though. You know, I mean, the challenge of it is, is part of the idea of it. But also the fact, and particularly in this, you get to hit kind of everything. I mean, you know, he's married three times and falling head over heels in love like that is birth and death and possibly a murder there's all these things that happen in it so it's great it's really interesting too the way it works in this movie some of the most poignant stuff happens when you're seeing the flashback and i'm supposed to be 35 and then it suddenly cut right from that to 65 and the difference with this wonderful makeup is incredibly poignant you keep forgetting it's an old man remembering this thing and you see this jump and it's really jarring sometimes to remember and see this sudden aging and this guy's wonderful so and it's a great thing to be able to do what was your process like doing that in terms of filming did was it filmed in sort of chronological order did you how did no, you and the director I, work well, on that? It, it ended up being sort of chronological because we had to shoot in rome first which is the sequence of the movie when i'm youngest when i'm 28 years old so we started with that so we started with the baseline youngest thing then the rest of it was just all over the place it was i was two, three different ages sometimes in one day because we just had to cram so much crap in there because it wasn't a ton of time to do it. So it was all over the place. It was just patchwork, which was hard, but it was fun in a way. Um, no, it was 
challenging, but fun. Also, a lot of excellent wigs and beards in this movie. If you're a fan of good wigs and beards, it's, it's great. It is. It's really great makeup. And the makeup is essential in this thing. Because if it looks crappy, it's just death with that bad age makeup. You know, the bad white hair stuff. And the guy was fantastically good that they had. And it was very wonderful because he was very collaborative when I met him. As opposed to a lot of these guys who just slap stuff on your face and say, this is what you're going to look like. He said to me, what do you, what do you think? You want to look like you should get older. So it was really nice. It was very collaborative. So, And how much homework did you have to do for that? I mean, did you find yourself doing scenes as 35-year-old Barney and then based on something that you learned that day, then changing your idea of what he would be like when you played him at 65? Yeah, I think there's a lot of unconscious stuff like that going on, which is interesting. And then you would find moments, sometimes you'd feel, I'd think, oh, I was supposed to be 57, but I think I was acting like I was 42. <laughs> but that's okay. Then you realize when you're old, you can have days when you feel youthful, and when you're young, you can have those days when you feel crappy and old. So it's okay. But yeah, I think, I don't know if I can think of any particular instance, but I think that's constantly going on, this idea of... It cross-pollinating like that through all the different ages, definitely. And um, it, is, it is part of the joy of it, of, of trying to pull those things forward and, and be convincingly the same guy. But, yeah. um, now, you've had some experience with this kind of project before playing the sort of... We've been able to watch you play a character sort of over the course of their life, fictional characters and real characters. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned that sort of something you enjoy doing when you're doing a, a real character like a John Adams for example how much uh, obligation do you feel to sort of embody that historical person mimic them obviously John Adams difficult not so much YouTube footage on him but <laughs> very dead yeah. you know, or do you just uh, try to find an idea of the character that feels true to you well again it's like a, it, with, the, with real people it's a case by case thing I mean a lot of the real people I've played no people don't have such a strong image of them in their heads. I mean, I did a movie called American Splendor where the guy's actually there. So, yes, in that case, I did feel a certain obligation to do some kind of embodiment of something. I embodied the persona he created of himself in a comic book or something. I don't know what yeah. the hell I was doing in that movie. But he was going to be there, you know? But that was great, too, because there's the guy, and I can sort of hang out with him and talk to him. But, you know, John Adams, I could have spent years reading everything there is about him and it but it, you know and i did want to do as much as i could of that and then i had to stop because i too much information sort of cripples me as a person and as an actor <laughs> and um but at a certain point too with him no people don't have such a he's not the iconic guy those other guys are so I, it was a relief in some ways and then in the end it is it's a character. It's going to be a character. You know, even if you're reading David McCullough's book, it's character in there too. Yeah. You know, it's always a character. So he's going to be a character, and I have to give myself the freedom to also make a character out of it and kind of do what I want to do with it too. So, and especially in that too, because it was a certain eye towards being irreverent with a lot of that too. I took more probably liberties than maybe I would if I was going to play Abraham Lincoln, which isn't going to happen ever, but you know, <laughs> maybe I'd feel more obligated to be more reverent or something. I don't know. Well, somewhere between the Harvey Picar, on the spectrum between Harvey Picar and John Adams, you could put Ben Bernanke, who you're going to be playing, or I guess have played, in the, play, in the I, HBO yeah. uh, Too Big to Fail adaptation movie about the financial crisis. Yeah. 
which has wrapped, I guess. It has wrapped, yes. yes. But, um, and we'll be airing. Is that what he is? He's on the, he's on, <laughs> well, he's on the spectrum. To, somewhere between, between Harvey Pekar and John, and John Adams. Adams. That's a good, ben I wish you'd been there to tell me that. That's a good combination. <laughs> that would That is Ben Bernanke, kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, not so much personality-wise, but in terms of playing a real person. He's obviously well, alive. He was very, yeah, that's tricky because he's so present right now. That is very, all those guys are. And, you know, Paulson and Geithner and all these guys are in that movie. That's tricky because he's so present. Um, and you don't want it to end up looking like goofy, but there's almost something inherently funny in anybody playing these guys who are so present now. So that's a tricky thing to do. He's also particularly tricky because he's completely unreadable. He's a totally enigmatic, totally opaque human being. Very nice. I, 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 I got to meet him because I was really concerned. I'd see him front of Congress or whatever he's doing when he's talking and he's impenetrable. I thought I really I want to see what this guy's really like and I got to meet him, go have lunch with him and he's impenetrable when you're having (laughs) lunch with the guy. He's a really nice guy but he's so guarded that he's really tough to get behind. I don't know what that guy's like. And did he have any advice for you to play him? I think he was kind of freaked out by the whole (laughs) thing. He was a little weirded out by it. Um, No, he was curious and you know, I mean he was very he was very wary, but no, not really. <laughs> I think he was just curious to see who the hell this guy was who was going to play him, and you know. I think I read that you uh, didn't grow your own beard to play him. You wore a fake beard because his beard is white and yours. This is true. I did actually grow a beard for it, but you can't bleach facial hair the right way. He's got a white. This is interesting, <laughs> isn't it? You learn these things here. It, you can't bleach facial hair the same way you can bleach the hair on your head. I don't know why. Um, it comes out looking like a weird yellow color. Uh-huh. So I had to wear a fake beard, which is horrible. Just a horrible <laughs> experience. If, don't ever wear a fake beard in your daily life. It's horrible. Um, they're not easy to act in. But fortunately, again, he's very still, slightly lizard-like. So I didn't, you know, it was in a weird way. The confinement, I felt, was kind of good in some ways. And I had one other thing that I wanted to ask you, and then I think we can open up to questions. Uh, I also read that you said you were interested, um, someone had asked you about stage roles and doing theater, and you mentioned that one show you've always been interested in doing is Waiting for Godot. Uh Um, Do you have a kind of dream partner to play opposite in that show? Because it it seems like that would be a huge part of it. No, but it's fine, because I think I know what you're talking about. I have actually done Waiting for Godot, but I played... um the guy with the uh, estragon, the guy in the beginning who can't get his boot off. And it was really fun. I'd want to do it again because the part I actually want to play is Lucky, who's the guy who never talks, who comes in and he's the, like the guy, Pazzo's dog, and he has that incredible monologue. Yeah. And that's actually, to me, always been this weird, like, holy grail thing. Like, someday I'm going to get to play Lucky. Nobody wants to play Lucky. <laughs> Lucky's kind of a nightmare role because you stand silent the whole play until you go nuts for three minutes. And then, but that seems kind of great. And I don't know what the hell you do with that part. Um, it's such a crazy, amazing monologue that he has. Someday. Someday. someday I'm going to play Abraham Lucky. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Lucky. Lucky. <laughs> then I'm done. I can retire. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I guess we can open the floor to questions. I think they explained how it works with the microphone. So um, stick your hand up and they'll bring you a mic. And uh... have one in the back over here. 
Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Um, my question is, how was it working with the cast? Congratulations on your nomination, by Thank the you. way. Thank and you. yeah, how was it working with the cast? And was there a scene that didn't make it in 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 the movie uh-huh. that you wish that it made it? Uh huh. But they were all. I mean, they they were all really wonderful. It was a real process getting those three women, and they got three amazing women. And particularly important is the woman Rosamund Pike, who plays the third wife in *On the Train*, and. Um, She's amazing, and they, they was incredibly well cast. And the director was very good at making a very happy group of people, and we got to rehearse and all that. So it was great. I, there is a scene that I wish was in the movie, and I think it's too bad, isn't The thing that got shortchanged, I think, in the movie is, well, a lot of things do, but the opening sequence of the movie, if you see it, where we're in Rome, and I marry my first wife who's this nutty artist poet woman that I marry lots of stuff got lost and this actress Rochelle Lefebvre is fantastic and she had an amazing scene in this where she's terrified because she's totally crazy this character she's terrified because it's thundering outside and she's just acted like a complete lunatic at our marriage where she's pregnant and completely out of her mind and I give her a banana to eat and she did this incredible thing where she keeps trying to open the banana from the wrong end, this amazing stuff she did. And she's sobbing and freaking out and all this crazy stuff with the banana. It was an amazing scene. And it ties into the end of the movie where I have a whole thing with a banana at the end of the movie. And it's just too bad because she was so fantastic in it. Anyway, that's the thing that I miss. Rochelle Lafayette's banana scene. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a scene with her which was quite memorable to me where she says to Barney, you know, you really do wear your heart on your sleeve. Now put it away. Yeah. Um, which seemed to me kind of like the, the thesis statement of the film, or at least yeah. the kind of... The, well, she says a lot of character. things that are very truthful to him. She says, you're, you're, an out, you're not one of us, you're an outsider, which is a huge problem the guy has his whole life, is feeling like he's not... And he doesn't feel like he ignites and participates in the world until he meets that third wife. He is kind of a schmucky observer, passive observer of everything for a long time. And that outsider feeling, too, I think, that insecurity is really a part of him. She says really truthful things to him. Yet... Also, schmucky outsider, yet also a ladies' man. Yes, ladies' man. Three wives in the film, yeah. uh, all sorts of sexual shenanigans. Uh, do we? Sorry, we'll take back to the audience questions. Hi, Paul. I'm curious about your career. You know, before you became famous, when you got out of Yale, did you have a specific strategy towards making it? Because I noticed on IMDb that you did mostly movies right out of school and. A lot of movies. Um, did you like tell your people, look, I don't want to do pilots. I just want to focus on movies. And what strategies in general can you advise other actors? I, Thank I, you. No. I, I have to be honest and say that I, I, I didn't really have much of a plan. I, I, I don't now. And actually, in some ways, that's one of the reasons I like being an actor is that the, the sort of surprise element of it, which is always often can be a nasty surprise, but there's a certain enjoyment I get out of it not being planned. I actually, when I got out of school, I, I the only plan I, if I had anything, I actually did a lot of theater. And the stuff you see on IMDb was all these real bitty parts and stuff, movies and TV stuff to make 
money so I could keep doing theater because that's what I figured I was going to do. I figured I'm going to be a theater actor because that's what I had done. It's what I went to school to do. It's what I liked doing. I hadn't done any film stuff and it wasn't that interesting to me. I didn't sit and say I'm not going to do pilots. I'm not, I just didn't get them. They didn't come to me. I was doing theater. And uh, if they wanted me to play, you know, a homeless guy in NYPD Blue for a day, that's what I did. I went and did that to make some money for a day. And it, it, it I lived, thank God, in a rent-controlled apartment, so I didn't have to make tons of money so I could survive that way. So the only thing I had a plan on was to just keep doing theater. And it kind of just took a weird sideways course to just going into doing more movie stuff. And I just kind of went wherever the work was. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's very hard. Advice about it, I don't know. I mean, I, I was open to doing whatever. I wasn't, you know, I mean, if a pilot had come along, I absolutely would have done it. There's no, no, I did everything that came along. I mean, I did unbelievable crap and weird stuff. I mean, I've been in, I was industri in industrial films for Boeing, playing airplane mechanics. And I mean, I did, I've done weird stuff, weird stuff. Great. I didn't care. I really didn't care. I just wanted to work. I wasn't being that picky. I'm did still you, not. So, did you ever get any advice along the way that you chose to ignore that in hindsight you're glad you did? Like, did anyone say, you well, can't no. play a guy named Pig Vomit, you're going to... Absolutely. Everybody was like, you're out of your... Why do you want to do this? I wanted to do it because it was funny. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought, this is a really funny script, actually. And I thought, this part... It's amazing. I mean, that part is one of the best written parts I've played in anything because people think that I improvised that stuff for Adlib. I didn't change a word of what that, how that character was written. It's a fantastic part. I was like, you're out of your mind because this part is great. But I, yeah, I mean, and in fact, the one thing that I do remember, the one piece of advice I got from a guy that really has been valuable, and it sounds glib, but it's true, and it was some situation like this where somebody said, you can't do blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to some actor, and the guy said, do not listen to other people's advice. <laughs> he said, my best advice to you is ignore people's advice. So, I mean, that sounds glib, but it's been true a lot of the time to just ignore what the hell people are telling you, how it's supposed to go. Who the hell knows how it's supposed to go? That's what's great about it. Do we have another question? Right here in the second row. How you doing, Paul? Good. Uh, my question to you is, it's kind of long, but um, I was hoping you could give me some insight. Um, your preparation when you tackle a role, and what are some, what are some of the obstacles you encounter, what do you, and what is more of your unique method as Paul Giamatti to how you overcome those? Thanks. That wasn't a long question. Are you... Oh, the answer's going to be long. I hoping for That's a long just, answer. Oh, 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 oh. I thought my question's going to be long. Um... Again, it's a sort of case, but I don't really have a very set thing. And it's a case-by-case case thing. Again, you know, there's things I feel I need to do a lot of research on, like that John Adams thing, or I'm doing an accent. I, I like that kind of thing. I, I, I love it if I have an accent or something physical to do or something like that. It's a very wonderful way in for me a lot of times. And... For, for many years with theater, I, I always did things. I never played Americans. I played Englishmen, Irishmen, Russians. I never played Americans. So my method was, I got an accent. Great, I'll just work on my accent. But I, I, I don't have... It's, it's always a kind of... And again, it's something, to some degree, it's the joy of seeing what it is I'm going to have to learn. Or, you know, I play a boxing manager and I get to hang around 
And that was an instance where I felt I need to actually hang around with boxers. I've never hung around with these guys. I don't know what these guys are like. I, I'm a wimp, and I'm gonna, I need to be around these guys so I can be comfortable with them. I need to learn about boxing, and I need to learn things like how to wrap a guy's hands, because I'm going to have to do it on film. I, I want to be able to do it. And So that was an instance where I did do a much more deep thing, because I just felt I needed to. Um, I mean, I've done some things where... You know, I, I didn't, I just felt instinctively, I'm going to get, I don't want to get too much in my own way by trying to overload it with too much stuff. And, you know, I did this movie, The Illusionist, where I play a German policeman in 1900. And I learned the accent. And then that was, and people were like, do you need information about Austrian, the Austrian police in 1900? I said, I don't want to know anything about any of that. <laughs> I said, I, that'll fuck me up completely. <laughs> and I was like, I know why I want to do this part because it's fun because I get to play a detective with a pipe and in a cape and I was like that's why I want to do this I don't want to know any of this historical crap I want to have fun playing a detective so I was just like leave me alone I don't care about any of this stuff so you know what I mean it was like that kind of thing um, it sounds really stupid but I read the script like hundreds of times if I can so that it's like you get the words in your belly so you don't have to think about them ever so you're not seeing the page in your head it sounds stupid but it's true you got to get to that point where the words but that's tough to do because they're changing the freaking script all the time on you and it's crazy it's insane people don't care what actors do they don't care they don't care that you have to learn lines you know it's crazy but if you can do that it sounds really stupid but it's a great way to just keep reading it and in you get to know the whole script, and all of a sudden you find these things popping out. You know, the, because you know the whole thing, you're, you're taking things from other parts of the script you're not even in, and it might come up and bubble up. I don't know. Sorry, it's not a very good answer, man. It's all over the place. I, my essential answer is I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So. Do you have another uh, audience question? Hey, Paul. Um, are there any buddies of yours, acting buddies, that you've been hanging out with and bouncing some ideas off that, like, I gotta, I gotta act with you. We gotta do this thing together. I don't know what it is, or maybe you do know what it is. Is there somebody, like, it, you know, a part of our New York world that you guys oh. have been... Well, there's so many, right? I mean, I haven't done that. I haven't... But there's so many people I would love to work with. I mean, I was just talking... I've worked with him, but not in a while. I'd like to work with him again as the actor Sam Rockwell, who's really great to work with. I've never worked with Philip Hoffman, which would be really nice to do. But there's older guys. Like, he's not a New York guy, but I've always wanted to work with Robert Duvall, except I think I would probably crap myself with fear if I worked with Robert <laughs> Duvall. Uh, he would be the one guy I think would really... I consider myself a guy who doesn't crap himself with fear very often, and that would actually probably do it. But he would be somebody I'd love to do something with. Um, is there anyone else on your crap yourself with fear list? <laughs> I'm trying to think about the crap myself with fear list. No, it's always funny because you think you're going to crap yourself with fear, and then you meet the people, and you're like, oh, this person's really nice. And just as, I mean, Dustin Hoffman was a great example, and you realize that he's just as nervous as anybody else. He's just as, he hides it pretty well, and he's got a lot of bravado, but he's just as lost. He'll get just as lost, and he's actually more honest about it, about being lost. It's great, and about... I worked with, I was lucky enough to do a play with Al Pacino once, and he was, t it was amazing how, you know, we had the, the director said, okay, we're going to do an exercise where you guys are going to be dogs, 
you, Paul, and Al be dogs on the floor, and he's down on all fours smelling my ass, and like, and he just did it. He didn't care. You know, he went for it. That's amazing, those guys. And that's actually what makes those guys great, is they're willing to do anything, and they want to be directed. I don't know. I'm raving now. I'm just rambling. I'm not saying anything coherent anymore. But do we, we have time for two more questions. Two more questions? There's a gentleman here in the second row. Paul, thank you for being here. Sure. Um, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on Merlot. What'd you say, man, <laughs> about Merlot? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually my question, so thank you very much. Well, I didn't hear. All I heard oh, was Merlot. What, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on Merlot. Oh, my thoughts on Merlot. <laughs> oh, dear. I wish I had thoughts on Merlot. I don't know anything about wine. It's astounding. I, don't know, I know nothing about wine. I got a Chianti. Somebody ordered a Chianti the other night. Is that right? That's a wine, That right? is a wine, yes. And it's red. It is I red. I thought it was white. It came and I was like, this is the wrong wine, man. <laughs> and then they were like, no, it's supposed to be red. So that's how much I know about wine. I don't know. Is there, is there a particular role you've done? You've done so many different sort of uh, diverse roles. Is there one or two particular ones that people kind of know you for or call back to you when they talk to you? Oh, well, yeah. There, I mean, the Howard Stern movie actually has really stuck <laughs> in, in a great way. Um, the John Adams thing, actually, a lot of people know. And um, I guess I probably the Sideways <laughs> movie. Thanks. Thank you. Um, sideways and John Adams. But I never know. You actually, you know what I got recognized for a lot is a kid's movie I did called Big Fat Liar. And um, the kids still watch it. And it's just bizarre because kids go nuts. And then now I see 20-year-olds who were 10 when they made it, which just freaks <laughs> me out in general. But they're... So they're, they're all just like, oh, my God, I get dyed blue in it. And people are just, kids just can't get enough of that. So. Um, and the last uh, question. Do we have one more? No one wants to be last. How you doing, Paul? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Here again. Uh, yeah, hoping to give you a better answer this time. <laughs> okay, I'll try, man. <laughs> um, just, just curious. Do you uh, is there a is there a character that you've been wanting to play for a long time, like a signature character that you have in yourself <laughs> that you haven't got a chance to play, or is there a certain director you want to work with? Maybe somebody that you haven't collaborated with on a just yeah. a great character that you want it for yourself <clears throat> to do, bring huh. to, to life. I um I don't know. I always liked um I don't think he even what, what does he do now? David Lynch. What does he do? Does he make movies anymore? Or is he makes just some movies occasionally. He made a movie a few years ago, but it was like the eight-hour movie, <laughs> Inland Empire, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, right. right. Yeah. And I don't know amazing. that it had professional actors in it. <laughs> I think there was a cow in it. Oh, yeah. I bet if you called David Lynch, he would find think, something for you to do. You guys could definitely so? work together. I would always wanted to work with him, but yeah, I don't know. He makes cow movies now, so I don't know if he'll... Um, I, you know, it's funny, because I don't, I don't know if there's... There, I've been really lucky and gotten to do all kinds of things. And, but I, actually, there's a play called Rhinoceros, which you know this play where it's all about, it's great. It's a French play from the 40s, I think. And it's a, all about everybody in this town is turning into rhinoceroses, except by the end of the play, everybody but one guy in the play is left. And it's, it was all about, it was a kind of metaphor for fascism and collaboration between the French and the Nazis, but it's got a lot of great themes about conformity and stuff like that. But there's an incredible scene. Again, it's like Lucky. I've always wanted to do this. There's a character and it has one scene. And the guy goes to visit this buddy of his. And 
uh, the main character, who's not a rhinoceros at the end, and through the course of this scene, his buddy turns into a rhinoceros on stage. He keeps going, I'll be right back, and goes out to go to the bathroom, and, come, and he's gradually turning more and more into a rhinoceros, until by the end of the scene, he's destroying the room, and he's turned into a full-blown, crazy, enraged rhinoceros. And I have always wanted to play that part. I have always wanted to play that part because it it's a fantastic, crazy thing where you just get to change completely. And by the end of it, you're an animal. You're a crazed animal. And I just, that would be really fun. That sounds like something David Lynch would be into. Huh? I've actually that to him. You're I absolutely you right. I think we've got a project. Together. All right, good. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Apple Store. And thanks to Paul Giamatti for coming tonight. <laughs>